This is Liquid Gold. All right, where brunch is not a meal, but a shift to avoid. Welcome back to the beverage void of your favorite beverage podcast, Liquid Gold. I'm your host, Mike Wolf, right here today. Shout out to the We Own This Town podcast network, weownthistown.net, and to producer Michael Eads and everybody at We Own This Town. Check out all the great podcasts there on the website and the music show, which is always a favorite. Very special first uh, brunch-themed episode of Liquid Gold today. Also got a lot of comedy to talk about with local comedy superstar Brad Sativa, who's got a very special show coming up, Brunch of Laughs, coming up Saturday, January 16th, in just a few days over at Zany's. That is at 2 p.m. Check out everything Brad's doing at Brad Sativa on Instagram. That's S-A-T-I-V-A. You know how to spell it. We will have uh, some booze news later on in the show from Kenneth Dedman, our man with the booze news. And we've got uh, a really cool recipe from cocktail correspondent Jess Backus coming right up here. But really excited to have Brad on the show today to talk about comedy, to talk about what it's been like as a writer and all the projects that he's got going on over the last year. Brad worked with Kenneth and I and Jess. Um, We all worked together at one point. And we've been through some brunches together. Brad has a special sativa mosa. That's a special uh, Jack Daniels and pineapple mimosa for his show that he's going to be promoting. And we'll talk a little bit about that. Um, as always, find us on Instagram at liquidgold underscore pod. And you can email us liquidgoldpod at gmail.com. Now we've covered Bloody Mary before, so you can go back to the episode with Jess Matchin where we talked to her about art and we talked a lot about the Bloody Mary on that show, gave plenty of recipes. So go back to that if you want some Bloody Mary stuff. We are hitting some other brunch drinks today. Jess has her Michelada recipe coming right up. And I'm gonna tell you real quick before we get into all this, uh, the interview and everything else, a couple of brunch favorites. So this is one that I only would have made for friends or people I knew, because it was a little bit a, a dubious name. I mean, when you say, hey, let me make you this ammonia Coke and let's see what you think about it. Um, but I thought about uh, telling telling you about this beverage because next week on the show, we've got one of, one of my heroes in the beverage world, Darcy O'Neill, who's a soda shop uh, historian. And he's one of the only guys, I believe he is the only guy left, who is making acid phosphate and lactart, two old soda shop ingredients fascinating guy and super smart and I've been looking to his work for inspiration going on about 10 years now so really excited to talk to him and I'm pretty sure it was his book fix the pumps where I first found out about the ammonia coke so what is the ammonia coke and why would you want it to be a brunch drink well this is not the ammonia that you're thinking like Windex but this was something that people used to drink to be able to go home, to be able to drive home or walk home after a long night at the bar back about, this would would have been popular 120 years ago, 110 years ago, would have been popular at the kind of soda parlors that turned into bars, turned into cocktail bars, which is uh, what we're going to talk to Darcy about next week. But the ammonia Coke, you use spirit, aromatic spirit of ammonia, which is essentially liquid smelling salts. But... To flavor that mixture, they use lavender oil, lemon oil, and I believe a cinnamon oil. It's like a cinnamon or a nutmeg oil. 
So it has a really cool aroma. You get a ton of lavender on the nose. But what you do is you put a tiny amount of that, I'm talking like half teaspoon, into a cup with Mexican Coke is what always is what I always used because I love that. The cane sugar, Coke. You stir that around, maybe add a dash of Angostura or so. The aromatic spirit of ammonia stays near the top of the glass. And if you smell that, it really, it really is a jolt and will really wake up your senses. So I would do that with a like an orange peel. And it had this just amazing orange, lemon, lavender aroma. And you drink that back and it really, the caffeine mixed with the smelling salts, it really was a very interesting drink and it could really wake people up. So it was not the kind of thing I wanted to like turn just a random guest that would come in. I would say, oh, you got to try this uh, aromatic spirit of ammonia. But it was kind of a fun little parlor trick for uh, for guests who I knew, uh, regulars, friends. It was, it was a fun little thing to play because it was like, oh, you had a rough night last night and you're here for brunch right now? Well, uh, I've got uh, I've got something that'll wake you up. Literal smelling salts in Coca Cola, <laughs> uh, but this was a thing. This is this was a drink that people used to used to drink to to wake up their senses. To if they had had too much to drink either the night before or that night, this was a drink that people would have before they would go home. It would give them just enough of a jolt so that they could walk home or you know drive their Model T back to uh, back to their house. So that's kind of a fascinating brunch drink for me. I love that one. And then the other one, the Corpse Reviver number two. This is a drink that you'll see on a ton of different brunch menus, but not many of us have been to brunch lately or, you know, it's not exactly a boom time for brunch going on right now with where we're at with COVID and everything else. You may have forgot about the Corpse Reviver number two. Really cool morning drink because it's a little lighter on the alcohol, would be good for it, it seems like dry January is not as much of a thing this year with everything that's going on in the world, but this is a lighter alcohol drink. So you do three quarter ounce of gin, three quarter ounce of lemon juice, three quarter ounce of Coke Americano or Lillet. You know, we're big fans of those lighter vermouths on the show. Love making drinks with them. And then you do a three quarter ounce of a Curacao. Maybe a Cointreau, maybe a dry Curacao if you want a drier drink. Then you do just a little bit of absinthe. And for the absinthe, you can do like 10 drops of absinthe. You could do maybe, if you really like absinthe, you could do like a teaspoon of absinthe. Or you can also just rinse the glass with absinthe. So swirl a little bit around that coupe or whatever you're going to be drinking it out of, swirl it around, rinse the glass, and then discard, and you'll have all those absinthe aromatics on the drink. So gin, lemon juice, Cointreau or orange curacao, and Lillet or Coqui Americano. Those four things, all in equal parts, uh, three-quarter ounce, and then a little bit of absinthe. You shake that up, strain it, serve it up, and then this is also a really easy variation of this drink that is incredible is add a little champagne because it's brunch or it's morning or it's middle of the day. And this was a drink just like the ammonia Coke that was used to revive people who had had a rough night the night before. This was one of the first really prominent and famous morning cocktails. Um, I believe it had its debut in the Savoy cocktail book, came out in the 30s and was such a 
huge uh, recipe book and really important cocktail recipe book. Uh, I believe that was the first time that this drink appeared, but had been made decades prior to uh, its appearance in that book. So check out The Corpse Survivor number two. If you haven't had it in a while or if you've never had it, it is just an incredible um, daytime cocktail or nighttime. All right. Well, uh, really enjoyed the talk with Brad today, and I, and I hope you do as well. Before we get to Brad Sativa, let's hear Jess Backus from Delaney Oyster House in Charleston. We've got her Michelada recipe coming up right now. Hey there. I would love to share with you my favorite brunch slash hangover beverage, the Michelada. Like most delicious cocktails, there are many recipes and many versions of this drink. It's great for hangovers because it has spice, salt, a little booze, but not too much. The name loosely translates to my cold beer, and the base elements are hot sauce, lime, salt, and of course, very cold, easy drinking beer. Many recipes call for Clamato or a Bloody Mary mix of some kind. Many simply put a beer over ice and top it with lime juice and hot sauce and maybe a pinch of salt. The best recipe is the one you like most. If you live in Nashville and you've never had a michelada, I highly recommend you hit up El Tapatio on Nolansville Pike and order one with your favorite Mexican lager and a side of grilled nopales. If you want to make it at home for yourself, I'm going to give you a really simple recipe that's really more of a guideline. You can freestyle your own michelada from there. You want to rim a glass with any combination of chili and salt. If you can find it, use tajin. It's spelled T-A-J-I-N. It's an awesome Mexican spice blend that has dehydrated lime and citric acid along with chilies and salt. If not, try paprika or chili powder, salt, and maybe just a touch of cayenne. You can adjust the spice level to your liking. So you have your salted rim. Then you're going to add to your glass one to two ounces of your favorite juice. Tomato, V8, celery, carrot, OJ, whatever you have and you like. Then half an ounce of lime juice a quarter ounce of your favorite hot sauce, about a quarter ounce of Worcestershire or Magical Maggi, three cracks of black pepper, and three shakes or pinches of whatever spice salt blend you put on the rim. Then add a big splash of your favorite beer or cider. I love Victoria, but you can use pretty much anything that's easy to drink. Top with ice, and then slowly pour the beer over the top while you stir with a spoon or a straw. Sip, pour, stir, repeat. If you're hungover, the faster you drink it, the faster it works. Bon appetit and adios. All right, as always, really love hearing Jess's thoughts on Michelada and everything else in her beverage world. So love having her here on the show. And let's turn things over to our interview with Brad Sativa. His show at Zany's is coming up Saturday, January 16th at 2 p.m. Brunch of Laughs. And here he is. He is a supremely talented individual. A comedian. This is uh, we've had a few comedians on now for uh, for season three. His name is Brad Sativa. He's got an event, the Brunch of Laughs, coming up January sixteenth at Zany's. That is at two p.m. And he's got a special drink. He's going to tell us all about. But Kenneth and I, we go back with Brad a little bit, and uh, we've always enjoyed his work. Brad, thanks for coming on the show, man. Oh yeah, glad to be here, man. For this sure. is great. Um, so. What a year we have all had. I'm sure if you're like me, you're thinking back to what you were doing a year ago today, and it was probably very different, a very different world. But as a comedian and as a writer, as an actor, 
what has this been like for you? I mean, in terms of, uh, you know, you don't get to, to do the type of touring that you were used to doing and the events that you're used to doing, but you're making it work. But yeah, tell me a little bit about what it's been like for you. It's definitely been different, uh, for sure, because uh, last January I was able to um, do shows in Atlanta, Chicago, a few other little smaller cities in between from Chattanooga to to Huntsville and all like little small towns and stuff. But and I had a real good January last year. And I was like, you were busy. Yeah, I yeah. was in a lot of states and I was doing a lot of different things. Uh, but even think about it even more, North Carolina. Yeah, I was able, fortunate, just to, to hit up a lot of places, and I was able to do one of the shows that I kind of wanted to really do, which is a show in Chicago called Comedians You Should Know, mm-hmm. which is a very, uh, very well-known show in the industry of, of, of comedy because it's, uh, they have three locations of the show. It's uh, Chicago, New York, and L.A., and it's kind of like once you get in, like into that, that that rotation, you'll be able to do them shows that still they held in high streams in all of those cities. Mm-hmm. So that was like, I was like starting off with a big notch because even in Chicago, that's not like an easy show to get on. Mm-hmm. And so, so I was like, all right, that's a good start off for the year, like coming out strong with that. And uh, still was able to do two of my other favorite shows in the country, which is Star Bar, which is in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And then I was able to do... Uh, this is uh, Sweetwater, uh, like Sweetwater Brewery. Mm-hmm. They've been doing a show for uh, seven years now. There, it's been like one. I think it's the longest running comedy show at a brewery down in Atlanta. So, like, wow. yeah, it's been it's been fortunate. I, like you know, so I was fortunate in January to do a lot of things, and then uh, yeah, to see now it's like it's a whole different like playbook. But I'm still playing the game, kind of thing. How how has this whole thing? Because I know it's changed. Anyone who's doing anything creative or writing in general, it's changed the way they're doing things. You know what they're writing, how they're writing, how they're obviously any performer. How how has your writing changed over the last I don't know eight months? You know, because I, I think comedy has been really interesting over the last couple of years where. Uh, some of the best comedy has turned a little bit more serious and you're looking to comedy for more societal comment that isn't just um, in a comedic context, I guess. So it's it's got to be an interesting time for comedy. Somewhat. It depends. Like, yeah. And, like, not to sound like a, like a... But in this city, not necessarily. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm just being real. It's yeah. comics like, that's based out of here, they like... They're like they they keep their hands clean, you know what I'm saying? It's like mm-hmm. they do what they best for their career. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? They don't touch like anything social or political, really. Uh, you know what I'm saying? And so yeah. most that that's actually getting paid to do comedy in Nashville don't do that. You know what I'm saying? But myself, um, yes, yeah, just changed me in various ways because I was supposed to move. I was actually going to move to Chicago in April of last year. And then COVID hit and it altered all of that because I lost two months of work automatically. Mm-hmm. And I was only doing comedy at the time as well. I, like for the 2020, I started off just doing comedy. So, it's, yeah, it was a whole total of them. But writing style, it, it, it definitely changed because I was writing an album 
at the time or I was laying the foundation for album. Mm-hmm. And the whole thing that the album was going to be about my life. It was going to be about how I grew up. It was going to be about my mom, my dad. It was going to be about everything. You know what I'm saying? Everything that was like kind of what got me to this point. You know what I'm saying? That yeah. was be the aim of my album. But because of everything that's happened in like the last eight or nine months, ten months, whatever, is I had to, it's like I felt myself being a comic who talks about social issues a lot and who talks about race and politics. Like When I say politics, I don't like jump all the way in. Mm-hmm. But I talk politics adjacent. But I definitely talk social issues like racism, all kind of stuff. I talk about like like everybody. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I talk about every situation from every kind of angle I can think of because that's just how my mind works. And for me, I felt like it would be an injustice of me calling myself a comic that consider myself that like not it has like I'm saying it has nothing to do with all the, what other comics do, but it's a comic who consider myself an observational, a common age comic. Mm-hmm. I felt like it justice if I just let everything happen to go swept be swept under the rug. Especially being in Nashville, which Nashville has made national news about eight nine times during 2020 for all kind of stuff. Yeah, you know, we just had so much stuff happen from the tornado, then the lockdown, then we had the, uh, the then we had the march, uh, mm-hmm. like the Black Lives Matter and the protest, where then there was some some white people that were set fire to the courtroom. Yeah, <laughs> and, and uh, then we had yeah we had that, then we had that ass eating party at the <laughs> festival. Yeah. fucking bomb on the river yeah jesus yeah and it's like that was that's just a nasty yeah i'm saying like that's why i try to it's like so it's like me saying that i'm a part of this city and then i'm like i feel that like i'm like like as a person that that does comedy and it's just a person that live in nashville i feel that i got my pulse close enough to the city where I get the vibe for real, for real, because I've been here for so long, mm-hmm. and I, I, the people that I associate with from all different, like, facets of the community of Nashville, from the, the local people, from people in the restaurant industry, like me and you familiar from, from mm-hmm. people in the industry, from comics, as like, and then from even now, from, like, the acting stuff, from people in the actual film industry, I just got different networks of people that I know and it's been beneficial for myself that I've been able to like work with all of them. Well, I think it's interesting that you use the phrase sweeping it under the rug because that's something that I heard in some, uh, I think it was on his radio show, but I heard Bob Dylan once say that about like country 
in Nashville at country music in Nashville. And it was like they've it's come to the point where country music in Nashville is all about sweeping it under the rug, sweeping the problems under the rug rather than dealing with them head on and telling you like I'm drunk and I'm about to go to jail. Uh, that that somehow fell fell by the wayside. So it's interesting that you talk about comedy in that way. But what do you think it is about Nashville that you don't feel like you're you're if you're if you're taking on social issues or if you're taking on what's going on with Nashville if you're not if you like you're taking that on but you don't feel like other comics are. It's because they like at the end of the day, like I said, not knocking any comic because you get your money how you get your money. Yep. And like I, I tell, I had this argument a lot with a lot of people, and it's not even about that part of it. It's about internet comics and non-internet comics. Like it's always going to be some some debate. Into, like on some on some inside baseball stuff in comedy, it's always going to be some debate. Mm-hmm. But as of Nashville, though, that is just a known fact. Out of like some of the best comics that's literally doing comedy in Nashville, there's only so many of them that's doing real social issues, and that that's just a known fact. Mm-hmm. And I'm and like and I'm one of those who, like I said, address that. I talk about everything. And I put my own thought process behind it. And I try to, the whole thing is that I try, like, it's a lot of people that talk about the popular stuff. And if you talk about a lot of popular stuff, you got to deal with, uh, i give you an idea, like, when the, the world was open and you had five late night shows. And with them five late night shows, they probably each got five to seven writers on them shows mm-hmm. to write about every night what goes on in politics and in the world. So it's like, if you got some of the best comedy writers already writing about this, then you got comics writing about this, and then you got regular people that just on Twitter and Instagram writing about stuff and Facebook writing about stuff. It's like, now you got to really write now. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Really put, you got to have really a thought process behind it to like to kind of separate yourself. And then because anybody can have just a simple thought now. Yeah. They can put it in the world. And they can be like, so it's like now it's about like, yeah, I got to keep going. I got to keep digging deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. It's like, because that's just, just how it goes. And I feel like, I don't know, I feel like I'm I'm qualified for it because, number one, I'm I'm black. You know what I'm saying? Like, I ain't saying like, like I'm, I'm black and double black. My mom and my dad black. Mm-hmm. I was raised in a church. I went to school with majority white people for a good period of my life from like fourth to eighth grade. I was the only black dude in my grade and it was one black girl. And you know what I'm saying? It's mm-hmm. like, so that's what I'm saying. I went to school with like a whole school of white people. I've been around white people all my life. So I never felt out of position or inferior or anything. Cause I seen, I can like literally been on, being the only black guy, I knew that I could execute grades just as good as white people. I knew I could physically on sports be just as good. And, and like, so I had my, I, I had an opportunity to see that firsthand because there wasn't no other, I was the, the, the actual specimen, you know what I'm saying, at mm-hmm. this school. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so I knew I had to, even after like starting at school in fourth grade, I knew I had to, I, I don't know. I knew about the stereotypes. I knew that I had to excel, and I, knew, I, I felt that feeling about that. But, but what were we talking about even earlier with the sweeping it on the rug? That's the Nashville way. That's what I learned. It's interesting. That. That's what I learned. Literally going into that school, 
I felt a very sense of pride when I found out. This is one thing I found out in that school that uh, it was Christopher. He was the first person to die in the Revolutionary War. And that was the first time somebody white told me something about black history that I didn't like kind of know. And this is that fourth grade, not even being like a dick about it. Yeah. But it was like, oh, damn, I never knew that. And so I started, my grandmama had these encyclopedias because some encyclopedia salesman before I like... I was born, sold her all these encyclopedias, and we had all these encyclopedias in the house. Mm-hmm. So I started like reading and researching people and started reading about black history and all this different stuff. And the things that I've learned, though, is that Nashville has been historically a very racist city. It's also been, like, if you look at it on the grand scheme of things, it was also somewhat one of the first progressive-leaning cities, too. And the reason why I say this is because, number one, Memphis is always going to be number one on everybody's list about racism in Tennessee because Martin Luther King died there. Sure. You know, it's like it's always going to have a dark cloud over Memphis. And so that's kind of like been Nashville's excuse to mm. be, they've been like, oh, well, look, we didn't kill Dr. We didn't kill Martin Luther King. Like, that's Memphis. That's like, not a, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. But they never talk about the, um, what's that restaurant they got now? It's, I think it's called what? Uh, Woolworths? Been, yeah, what was the place in there? So, it used to be a Woolworths, used to be the department store. Yep. And then, right across the street, which is still across the street, was Walgreens. But back in the day, Walgreens used to have a diner in it. You know what I'm saying? Right. It, just, it wasn't just a fuck. It wasn't just a, a, a pharmacy. You can go in there and get your milkshake and go in there and get you a Coke and a burger and all that shit. Yeah. And the same with Woolworths that was right across the street. Mm-hmm. And that was, that's when 60 years ago, literally 60 years ago, last year in 2020, that's when the first kitchens were uh the first diners were open set they was open and uh they was for where black people can come and sit at the bar but the bar only they couldn't sit at tables but they could sit at the bar yeah and it was the first and it was by tsu students at the time tsu and fish students were which are both historically black colleges in nashville mm. they was the one first doing the sit-ins so you looking at these black people that were going from college, that were college students, sitting in in, in Walgreens and Woolworth, and they was getting the shit beat out of them. They right. were getting stuff thrown at them, beat, spit on. But you look at it, you fast forward. Like I said, that's 60 years ago. Which Nashville, also when I say this, Nashville was the first city in the South to have, to let black people sit at the bar. Mm-hmm. Which is, that's a fact too. So that's what I'm saying. It's racist, but it's also progressive on the back end kind of shit. So they was the first city in in the South to let black people sit at the counters. But as soon as they did, they got beat the shit out of, like spat upon. But you fast forward that sixty years, and you're talking about it was college students. So you're looking at people that was nineteen to twenty two years old. You fast forward it right now, 60 years, that means 82 
83, 81, 80. That's their ages now. Mm -hmm. These people are still living. They are still alive. And when I say they're still alive, they're still alive on both sides. They're some of my grandparents, but they also a lot of white people grandparents too who was doing that fucking racist ass shit. Sure. And, you know, and, and so that's what I'm saying. It's like, that's what we try to explain to people. And that's like, that's the whole thing about the true meaning of like when people say Black Lives Matter stuff. That's the true meaning. It's like, no. It's 60 years ago. Nashville was the first one to do it. And these people are still alive right now. Yeah. Theoretically, Corona ain't took them out. You know what I'm saying? The other, like, other stuff for sure. But these people are still alive. It's still the opportunity for these people to, to be alive. But some of these are some of y'all grandparents on both sides. Yeah, historically, it's not a long time. It's not a long time. No. And so people tell us, like, oh, no, no. It's been that forever ago. It's like, no, 60 years ain't forever ago. It's like, shit, I'm damn near, like, I'm damn near 40, damn near. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, that was only 20 years before I was born. That ain't shit. Yeah, yeah. We start looking at stuff like that. And, but, that's the difference where people, like, they get so much of where they want everything to be equal, but... What we try to tell people when stuff ain't been equal from the get-go is kind of hard. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? It's like, yeah, I got proud about myself where I'm fucked up. Where I told you I've been going to school with white people and been around white people all my life. Like, I'm the type, I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want affirmative action to be personally used on me because um, that's my pride level. I already know I can excel to every to any level as any white person when given the right opportunity and to learn and blah blah blah. It just like I don't need no I don't need a white I don't need somebody white to tell me like, oh you just as smart as a white person. Are you just like no, I'm smart as any person. But like I don't need somebody to reassure me that. Sure. So I and I ain't saying that in no fucked up arrogant way, but just how stuff plays on the news and played like people like to be like, oh well you're one of the good ones or you you one of the class acts or you wanted the like no nah, like no nah, motherfucker I'm just a motherfucker that just know I'm just a person and I happen to be black and I know all this shit. Yeah. You know well you got a lot of perspective on it. So I gotta ask you then going through from last spring to what we've been through to now with the most recent a lot of people in terms of this country are looking in the mirror or the country itself as a whole is looking itself in the mirror and just saying like, this is ugly. What I'm looking at is ugly. Do you feel like, because this is something that we've been talking about in my household, just with talking to my kids about what's going on and everything. And it's like when ideologies and when, when things are at their end, in this case, it seems to be, you know, a, a last gasp of white supremacy, a last gasp of a reckoning with a seriously racist past, um, that the last gasp is potentially can be very violent and can be very loud. You know, the last breath being the loudest is, is a real thing. I have witnessed it. And is that how you view what 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 has just happened? What we have just witnessed, not just last week, but last summer? Um, do you feel like no. this is this is some sort of reckoning with um, this lashing out based on 
things that aren't true, like the election was stolen or whatever, is this, do you feel like it's a last gasp of all that bullshit? Do you think like there's a way forward? It's, it is a way forward, uh, but it's going to be a slow process because it's going to take like several things to happen. Number one, I think a lot of people are now finally seeing stuff from a different perspective. Like this stuff been happening for years, you know what I'm saying, for decades, mm-hmm. centuries of black people getting mistreated and other minorities getting mistreated. You know what I'm saying? That's just that just been history, you know what I'm saying? But black people for sure, number one, you know what I'm saying, we done took that L the biggest. And it, I want to know, I would say, like Native Americans too, they have been they have been exploited in a whole different type of way. For sure. Uh, but historically, I would say they are, they have the same amount. They should have their chest poked out like we have ours with the man. Yep. Uh, they, only thing different is that they have got stuff like reservations and stuff like that where they have, like, no, this is y'all people's land kind of thing. Yeah, and we've got listeners, uh, shout out Pacwa Ota. Yeah. We got to shout out yeah. Pacwa Ota, big listener to the program, and uh, yeah, he and I have talked about these some of these issues before. <laughs> yeah, that's what yeah. I'm like. I'm a, I like, I, I, I like, you know what I'm saying? I ain't going to be the person to be like, oh, you know, only black people. No, Native Americans definitely have been been very marginalized and it's almost too extinct in some place. They probably, they will probably be at least probably 20, 30% of America's population if it wasn't like, what the what how they how the kind of war they was taking against them so i i will yeah. i will not look over that like it's nothing but they did at least give them land that's the only thing they tried like that's something that they they have not even gave us even though i know that it is chaos on some of the reservations so i'm not even looking over that yeah but but historically a lot of this stuff has not been televised and now everybody can be a part of media now it's on your hip. It's on your. You got a phone now. Mm-hmm. You know, and like we met like Rodney King in the nineties was the one of the biggest things because it was videotape. Yep. You know what I'm saying? Anybody can make that now. I can make that Rodney, Rodney King videotape now better. You give me a light ring, I can shoot that shit in 4K. You know what I'm <laughs> yeah. And I'm saying like for real, it's just like so now it's like people are seeing the stuff that they always heard about. But I think being locked down, a lot of times, a lot of people had, that was their first time seeing it. And for a lot of people that was not black and other races, definitely like white people, they was like, oh, that's enough. It's enough. You know what I'm saying? And and it's the younger crowd, too. They're like, it's enough. Because it's like, it's like, because they know. It's like, people know that these kids now have grown under... 15, 20 years under different kind of leadership and people that they look up to. And I ain't even saying everybody they look up to are great, but it just, they, they these people are better than what they were looking up to, you know what I'm saying, on, on, on the social issue kind of thing. Yeah. Now, it's just at the point where a lot of people are pissed off, like, this last year, that's gonna split families up, families and their white families when i say families i mean white families and i like i'm not saying this in a dick way yeah no you mean you mean my family (laughs) i I got a lot of white friends that's like like oh yeah like my like my parents are not gonna see their grandkids unless they fucking like 
shape up. We're not gonna do. We're not gonna. That I have. I've had plenty of my white friends say shit like that. It yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, no, it's I'm out there, man. for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not letting them y'all racist. Y'all do, like I'm not letting y'all beat my kids. I'm not letting my kids be in Florida. I'm not letting them stay with you. And it's like I know that it's hitting home for a lot of white families now. Even in that way, and, and even on the other way, where I remember back in the day, where it took a mixed baby to make some of these grand these granddads and these grandmas pull off a little bit. I like I'm from that generation. Mm-hmm. I'm like eighties baby. Where I remember where, like some of them girls were getting white girls getting pregnant with mixed babies back in the day, and then that's the first like where these these people are forced to love. Like somebody black, you know what I'm saying? Where they yeah. have to like crazy man, yeah. And you sit like that though, and, and it's uh, and even the opposite. You see, I know I've been arguing with this one girl. She got a black baby daddy. Only in college, that's all she fucked with was black dudes, and like like that's all she wanted. And now she pro Trump. It's like man, it's like shit. You never know. This shit. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. This is you can't even predict shit anymore. I've had you can't. Well, so can I can I ask you because I know that you have uh, I've heard some of your stuff on your previous album about Obama, um, and you've you've had some great material about Obama, but haven't gone through eight years of Obama and then what's gone on the last four years. Does it surprise you at all? Does it does it take you as a writer, just as a, as a writer and as a comedian and an actor? Do you look at what's gone on, not just the last year, because I want to hear about that, too, and how that you have managed taking something from the notebook to the stage and not having that back and forth between your notebook and the stage and performing and tweaking and doing things. But just from, you know, what we're talking about here, what has that been like as a writer to navigate that whole, you know, this this whole period to the point where now it's like people are like democracy's on the line. This is the you know this is not the end of a presidency. This is the beginning of something else. Do you, as a writer, do you take that in? You're like, what the fuck am I supposed to do with this? No, it just at the, at the end of the day, for myself personally, I like to sit back and just take it in because I I truly think that like Obama was the first person that. Uh, like he exposed America, mm. you know what I'm saying? He gave it where you see people that voted Democrat like for their whole life did, didn't vote Democrat just because he was black. You know what I'm saying? They mm. was like, "Well, I just, I, you know what I'm saying?" It was a lot of people that did that, and and like I said, that is what it is. But it's a lot of like I said, lifelong white Democrats that when Obama came up, they was like, "Nope." And like you, you got people in like West in West Virginia uh, is one of the states that was like that. It's like a historically democratic like state. And you know what I'm saying? Especially for the last decade, uh, two couple decades before Obama. What they're gonna tell you is because of what he said about the coal industry. But it was based on some racist shit. So that's that's sure. where the people who wanted to argue would be like, well, it was kind of coal. No, it wasn't the coal industry. Yes, but no, mm-hmm. because. If, that's the, if that was the fact that Trump would open up coal more than anything, he still didn't do that. And um, but the whole thing is that it's that's for me. That's the best thing is just sit back and you watch and you see what these people are gonna do. 
because it's like you can't predict what these people gonna do and so that's when you look at it from an aspect of just seeing it from an outside point of view that's why i get my best material it's like looking at how these people are actually acting yeah so is that part of your process then if you're 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 an observational comic in some ways and uh you know you deal with all kinds of different subjects but is that part of your thing like you're you're feeling like uh, a topical issue and you're thinking about it but is that part of your method is to i'm gonna sit back i'm gonna see how this plays out i'm gonna take yeah. a kind of a zen approach to it and just see well we'll see how that goes for you and i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna sit back before i make my judgments kind of thing or something okay i'm gonna give you an idea yeah okay my first album uh like I said, I'm not saying this to toot my horn or like saying that I'm like, like it's a good album. I ain't, it's like it's not even gonna be. Oh, it's great shit! Day. I mean, you're on the show. Let's pump it up. It's fucking great. Yeah, yeah. I'm just, no, I'm just saying. At the end of the day, that's really <laughs> gonna be not, That's my best work. But it's, but at that time, it was my best work. You know what I'm saying? So I'm like, so I'm not, so I'm not shitting on my own album. But I'm just saying that at the time, that was my best work. And but my next stuff's gonna be better. Mm-hmm. Because it's just I've grown in the comedy even more since then. But what I but even with that said, my album now is more relevant now than when it was when I recorded it. Because I talk about so much crazy racist racism stuff and social issue stuff where now some of this stuff is even more relevant now since Trump been in office because it's been it's been a battle between people doing it now. You know what I'm saying? I've talked about gay issues. I've talked about racism. And now in the last four years, uh, since Trump been really in the last two years, he's been exposure even more to some of that stuff. And so that's kind of my point is that like, even if I'm writing on something that's topical, that's fine. Two years from now, three years, five years from now, Will the people listen to it and be like, oh, fuck, I remember that. Oh, Lord, that was crazy. Blah, 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 blah. Even if they hear it for the first time, or are they going to look at it and be like, oh, yeah, that's funny. But, yeah, that was like, that was a, a good line. Yeah. It wasn't like, man, it's like, I give this, like, Jay-Z, which is, I'm not a huge fan of Jay-Z. I like Jay-Z. I'm not saying like that, but yeah. I'm not like a diehard fan of Jay-Z where it's like, I'll argue with people and try to fight them over them. Uh, but Jay-Z said one of the best lines that, that's my motivation for comedy. And it was that him and Nas was, was beefing about him using a sample for Nas. And he used a sample of Nas. It was like, dead presidents, I want dead presidents to represent me to get busy y'all you know what I'm saying so that was a Nas line and Jay-Z used it and Nas said something about him using it and Jay-Z said that one of the best motivational lines for me on my comedy shit which is you made it a hot line I made it a hot song (laughs) yeah and then and that's the difference and like so any comic, a lot of comics can come up with these premises. A lot of people can come up with these premises or whatever they're thinking about. But it's literally on me to be like, yeah, a lot of us had this kind of thought process, but I developed it into a whole a joke premise where it's a five-minute joke now. Yeah. You did you did 30 seconds about it. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? You did a minute about it. I did five, six minutes. You know what I'm saying? That's the difference. 
Well, yeah. Well, tell me about um, the, the, the thought process of like, you think about something that's topical and then you're thinking like, well, is it going to be that interesting down the road or do you, it sounds like what you're saying is that you view what you're doing as like, you want to be timeless and you want to be, um, you don't want to just be topical flavor of the moment. You you're looking at the issues to see, well, what's sticking here? What's the big picture here? What is this really saying about where we're at? Like you're looking at things through a kind of a timeless lens. So that kind of says about some, some of your influences and stuff too, I would say. Yep. It's because this whole thing is like, I'm more each day getting, and I'm and I, like, I ain't saying this in a dark way, but I'm also like, I'm very, like, tuned in to my own, like, you know what I'm saying, mortality. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And it, it's not even in the fucked up way where I'm tr- think I'm beating the clock or nothing like that. But it's like, at some point, we all gonna expire. We all gonna die. But it's like, what can I leave? Sure. Like, the only thing I can leave is me doing what I want to do. It's just comedy. I can leave albums behind. I can leave videos, I can leave pictures. I just want for the people who really want to reminisce and to, to fucking fuck with me, I want to be able to leave them enough stuff to if I cross your mind, you can pull up a video. You can pull up a fucking album. You can pull up some pictures. Like, yeah, I want to leave people with some shit where if I'm like, like which I'm saying, even on a small scale now, I got, like, I got, some people that'll be like, no, you're my favorite comic. And it blow my mind. I ain't for real. I'm yeah. some real shit. But, because for a person like on my status, like, that, that's too much for me. Because now I got two people that's like, I'm gonna go hard for y'all motherfucking too. I'm gonna make sure that y'all don't be the last motherfucking too. Y'all just gonna be the first two. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that's why I'm gonna remember y'all the most because y'all the first two. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, I have many now. But it's two people out here that are always that fuck with me different, and so it's like for a person like me, that's pressure. You know what I'm saying? Because it means it means that I got the opportunity for other people to have that same feeling. So it's just about me execute what I'm already doing. The one thing that I uh, I think that I've struggled with as a writer and trying to write about maybe whatever has happened in the last year or so is taking the time, making you know. Because I'm like you, I think about things in a timeless sense. Those are a lot of my favorite songs, uh, artists, comedians, writers, whoever. They're very timeless in a sense. And how do you take something that is so timely, which is everything we've been through in the last 10 months, and make it timeless? But what is that like for you as a comic who, like we mentioned earlier, you're writing things down and then potentially performing them and then tweaking them? What is that like when you don't necessarily have the audience or haven't you done some Zoom shows and and you've you've dealt with the feedback from that? But like I've heard other comics say, you know, like without an audience, there is no comedy. So what what is that like for the creative process for you where you're writing things and trying to hone them? That must be really tough. That is like, okay, I say from doing a Zoom show. Uh, which I have done every type of show. I've done Zoom shows, Twitch shows, Microsoft Teams shows. I've done fucking drive-in shows. Yeah. Outdoor patio shows. I've done every type of show mm-hmm. that can be done 
in or outside comedy club or comedy bar. Yep. And so it's just because at the end of the day, this is this is what I'm trying to do for forever. And then also it's like, why not? It's like, why not learn and fuck with this or do these skills? Mm-hmm. And it's true. Yeah, it's like doing a Zoom show is not going to be better than doing a show in front of people. But if a Zoom show is what I got, that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. Because that's just going to be another skill level I can learn. Are yeah. you, are you familiar with baseball? Oh, yeah. I played okay. baseball, and yeah, for sure. Like, I'm not, I'm not a huge baseball guy. But everybody, I'm an ESPN guy for yep. over 25 years. I've been watching ESPN. And so I, I kind of know who are like the best people for the, the decades and eras or whatever. Uh-huh. But I know one thing they, they talk about is being a 5-2 player. They, they say Mike Trout is a 5-2 player. Uh-huh. He know how to throw. He can catch. He can hit. He can feel. He can do everything. Sure. And so, for myself and my goal is I want to be a 5-2 comic. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I want to be on stand-up. I want to be on my shit on acting. I want to be on my shit on writing. I want to be on my shit on improv. I want to be on my shit. It's like, I can still work on all this stuff myself, too. Yeah. And you know what I'm saying? It's, it's opportunity. So, this lockdown gave me opportunity to learn a lot of stuff and to figure out different stuff. And I'm kind of like, sometimes I beat myself up. I should still be dropping stuff online as much as I was when I was locked down because a lot of people, I got feedback from that. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, that's what my goal is from this year is to get back online more. It's because people are on there and yeah. people like, like my content because instant feedback. And so it's, uh, that's my whole thing, though. It's like, oh, this, during this whole lockdown, if you didn't find something that you felt that you was weaker in and you didn't try to improve, that's on you. It's yeah. any creative. I know it comes a point, like, and when I say that, I know people, some people are depressed as fuck. I'm not saying that. I ain't. But if you're somebody who just sat and watched Netflix and watched every TV show and you consider yourself a comic or a writer or an artist or a musician... And that's all you did was watch Netflix and Hulu and the goddamn Disney Plus and order fucking Uber Eats and DoorDash. If that's all you did for eight months, that ain't got a goddamn thing to do with me. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, you should have worked on something. You should have worked on something because this is all we got. And like, even if, like I said, even if it's to leave it behind, you still had to work on something. Yeah, and do you feel like that in terms of like almost like you mentioned athletes and baseball and I mean, I know that uh part of the the process with all that is like use it or you lose it. I mean, did you did you ever feel like, man, I just have to write and I have to create so that I don't lose a spark and that I don't was that was that hard through all this? That is definitely a thing for sure because I'm like historically I'm not really a comedy you know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. Um, and like I said, I'm not saying the shit on nothing, but I'm a I'm a I'm a music fan, sports fan, but like that's my first two things that I love the most. You know what I'm saying? And uh, 
And speaking of that, that's another thing that happened in 2020 that was fucked up. But like, uh, Kobe died last January. Which yeah. is crazy. That's almost a year ago. Yeah. But, uh, and like, Kobe's, Kobe's one of my biggest inspirations uh, on several different levels because I was in high school when Kobe, um, when Kobe went from high school to the NBA. I was like eighth grade or some shit like that. And, um, and then like, Kobe a Virgo, which I'm a Virgo too, and it just that type of mind frame that he had was definitely like a foundation for me. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Thought process, even before the whole Mamba mentality where everybody was posting last shit. But that he's been one of my biggest influences, and a lot of my other influences are either music, it's either music or fucking like, like music or like sports, and then. My comedy inspirations didn't even come until closer in the time to, like, you know, my adulthood, which is, like, uh, Dave Chappelle is one of my biggest influences, and then Bernie Mac. And then after that, it's a few other you know, people who I just seen. Yeah. But, like, I'm not a comedy fan, so that's why I talk about, like, sports and, and music more, because that was the first people who inspired me. And so that's why I don't have, like, literally a style necessarily. So I don't have a style where I don't think that you can be like, oh, you sound like this person or you sound like that person because I don't have any real comic, like, foundation. Well, and you just sound like you, you know, or you, you, exactly. you perform like you, which is uh, which is a big thing that uh, Kobe and, uh, and some of these other athletes and performers have said. It's like, don't compare me to somebody else. You know, I am who I am. Well, tell me about the brunch of laughs and how that got going. Because that was something that you got going pre-COVID, right? Yeah, that was pre-COVID. And it's just uh, a fun afternoon show. It is a fun afternoon show. uh, So the whole thing has been working in the the restaurant industry for uh, like almost a decade at this point. I always worked brunch and I always seen that people was coming to brunch, people was not only coming, but they were spending money. You know what I'm saying? It yep. was like, like I had like, when I really first started working brunch, I was working at a restaurant that I was selling like a shit ton of stuff. I would have a lot of $100 tables. I have $200 tables. I have tables that would spend a lot of money. And that like blew my mind. It was like, these motherfuckers dropped. $250 at brunch, they'll buy this kind of expensive champagne at brunch. This, it, will, it will blow my mind. And so the whole thing was like, oh, after working so many, I was like, I got to get into this market. And then so I did this show that was kind of based off of brunch. And I was like, we got to do this shit in Nashville. We got to do it here. And so I came up with the idea to do it. And I mentioned it to Zanies. And they were like, yeah, let's do it. You know, that was like that's something that's like aimed at a different market that we don't necessarily get here on a regular basis, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, let's do it. So at this point, I was like, I want to in- include a young lady at the time. So I got my friend Laura Peak. I'm like, yeah, let I, I like, and it, at the time it was like on an interim basis. I was like, yeah, let me. This is my idea, kind of thing. But let me get you. I think you the funniest. Like you one of the funniest comics in Nashville, but also you a young lady, so you, you like you offer a different aspect than I offer. And so we did that first one together. It went so well. I was like, yeah, you just got to be my permanent host now. And so she was my permanent host. And we did it for like a year and a half. 
And then um, she moved to actually L.A. last January mm-hmm. from Nashville for comedy. And then, like, everything fucking shut down out there. So it's like, so we, we didn't do it for a few months, and then that happened. Uh, but the show, our show has been featured on two uh, comedy festivals, Nashville comedy festivals, where we have had, like, all-star lineups where people who travel throughout the country, like, who on TV came and did our show. We got a, a list of names of comics who've done a bunch of laughs. That's, like, some who's who's. And, but since COVID, like, since COVID, we was all locked down, and then she was up there. I was given an opportunity to bring the show back, and I was like, you want to bring it back? Like, yeah, fuck it, let's bring it back. And so this is our fourth month back now. And uh, over the last four months, we've been able to do a, a few different things. Like I said, it's like pretty much like my vision now. And uh, we've been able to not only get people there to come out, but we got a, a new drink that's called Sativa Mosa. And then, yeah, the Sativa Mosa. Tell us all about it. So if, like, I drink whiskey and bourbon. That's my go-to. You know what I'm saying? Nine nice. Out of I'm drinking bourbon. You uh-huh. know what I'm saying? I'm drinking whiskey. That's just my thing. Like, they know my drink at Zany's is a double Jack Daniels on the rocks. That's my drink. That's mm-hmm. my go-to everyday drink because I consider that just like, that's my blue-collar drink. Yep. You know what I'm saying? And so, um, so I already drink Jack Daniels a lot. And so I was like, all right. Let me do Jack Daniels and pineapple. So I'm like, I'm gonna make that a, like a little drink for my show. And so I, I announced, I'm like, yeah, I'm doing, I'm drunk. Like I'm like just playing, playing on it a little bit, but also a little bit of fact. I'm like, I'm drunk. <laughs> I'm, I'm on Jack Daniels and pineapple. We call it Sativa Mosa. Mm-hmm. And then like, and then uh, that was like, I don't know, you know, some people ordered that. And so I end up bumping into my friend, who's uh, she's a uh, she's a marketing manager for Jack Daniels. And I bumped into her, and I was like, yeah, I already been, like, doing Jack Daniels drinks. And she was like, all right, like, for real? Like, yeah. And so we ended up linking it up. So now Jack Daniels is the official sponsor of uh, Brunch of Labs. Oh, that's great. Yeah, and it's, like, really through Jack, and it's not through, like, one of the distribution companies. Mm -hmm. So it's not through, like, it's not through, like, uh, the green. Yeah, it's not through Lipman. The green truck. <laughs> yeah, that's that's some prohibition shit. The, the dark ass green truck. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> but um, but yeah, so it's not through Lipman. It's actually through Jack Daniels, and uh, yeah, they sponsor. They already we got a lot of stuff. We got T-shirts. They already gave us. We got cups, hats. We got all kind of stuff. And like, they're definitely like met us all the way and did all the stuff that like I wanted and needed and they've been a blessing so Jack Daniels is the official sponsor of Bunch of Labs I'm also right now like this almost blasphemy to say this I'm also right now I'm like personally Brad Sativa I am a front person for Smooth Ambler which is that's right you've done the Smooth Ambler commercials which Kenneth and I have have uh, enjoyed. Tell me about how that came about. It's kind of weird. It's uh, so I used to I used to be signed with an agent like four years ago, four or five years ago, mm-hmm. and I, so I used to shoot these commercials and do some. I did it like a TV show. I did a few other things, 
but I was a free agent for like the last two years. And but one of the guys who who did a commercial with me a few years ago, he was like he just DM me like on social media, which is kind of unheard of. Like like that's not usually how it happens. So it was like, but it was like, hey Brad. We got this fucking role, man. We think you'd be dope for it. Like we had a few people audition for it, but like we want to, like we think you'd be perfect. And so I did it. And so I like they hit me up and I did it. Like I did it like in an hour and a half. So they was like, yeah, make up some shit and, and like make it up in this vein. They kind of gave me an outline. So wow. I made it. And so, but I had my roommate to shoot it for me, so I could have the camera focus or whatever. And so I was just improv a lot of this shit, but it was like, like not to say not to my shit, but I was killing that shit enough where you can even hear my roommate laughing, like snickering in the background. <laughs> and so when I sit there and audition, they was like, all right, number one, it's like, yeah, we like, as, as soon as I sent it, it was like, it was like, okay, well, let's just say, Brad, you the first audition we have somebody laughing in the background. So they was like, all right, so that's already. <laughs> Uh, that was like so I got that role in like maybe seven or eight hours you know what I'm saying it was like and so it just flipped like that and be, and then yeah and so like next thing I knew like a few days later I was doing it we had a, it was a COVID it was a COVID uh, safe zone we had masks on until we acted and everybody else all the camera people had masks on during the whole time it was like yeah, it was like it's crazy because I've I've filmed a few things and some things have been very professional, some things have not, and uh, that was the most professional like shoot I had like post COVID, and it was my first post COVID shoot too, and it was yeah it was dope and they gave me the ideas they let me work with a lot of material myself they let me do a little improv with a lot of that stuff too so on a lot of them commercials I got to add my own little flair to it and so. Because of that, I am contractually binded to Smooth Ambler until, like, September, so I really can't own. That's why I, like, Jack Daniels promote a show, but Smooth Ambler promotes Brad Sativa, so that's, that's more nice. than my life. You're just, you're just uh, walking a tightrope of whiskey. Yeah, I know, man, and also, <laughs> I'm going to do this, too. Hopefully, they don't all get mad at me. <laughs> um, <laughs> but also, I'd like to give a shout-out to... Uh, Guidance Whiskey as well. Guidance. Yeah, Guidance Whiskey is a black-owned whiskey company, like, based out of Nashville. And it's a black-owned company, and it's like, he might, like, last week we had a meeting together, and it wasn't about me and me and whiskey. We just had, he just happened to be at a meeting that I was with, with another guy that I work with on some show stuff, and we had a good chopping up so yeah also just know it's a black owned whiskey company called Guidance Whiskey excellent I feel like they've been at Willie B's are they at Willie B's for sure at Willie B's yeah yeah 100% at Willie B's yeah I've seen that they're do- they've done some events there yeah for sure definitely at Willie B's alright we talked about that last week when I was with him so yeah cool well that's great we'll have to, we'll have to get him on the show definitely get him on the show yeah I- I'll make sure that, yeah, I'll make sure that happens for sure. Be good people. Um, but, yeah, it's like, that whole thing is like me being in the restaurant industry, I align with the whiskey industry when it comes to shows. It's like a lot of my shows, people buy drinks. People spend money buying drinks. Like a lot of yep. my people, 
it's like I sell drinks. It's like I know. So that's one thing that people know about me locally at businesses. They know that I sell drinks. Yeah, Brad Sativa sells drinks. That would be your next shirt. Right. <laughs> hey, that band, you better ask them. All right. So when you're when you're talking, do you do you get into uh, at the brunch of laughs? Do you get into some of the brunch comedy that I'm sure you have seen over the years, like serving brunch, working brunch? You've seen you've seen a lot. Brunch is like a war zone for restaurant workers. Um, are you able to work some of that into uh, into the brunch of laughs, or is it too on the nose? I don't necessarily work pure brunch into, <laughs> and that's because it's a reason though. It's because. I'm actually working on this uh, TV show. So the TV show that I'm writing is called uh, it's called In the Weeds. Oh wow! Yeah, uh, which is uh, it's like if you know me, that's like a double entendre. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but it's called In the Weeds, and so it's about me being a black server in Nashville, particular, but in the South. And what kind of issues I deal with and what kind of attitude that I have going into work. And so mm -hmm. it's particularly about me being very dickish and particularly about how crazy people are and how disrespectful some people can be. But so um, so if I can give you an idea, if you if you've seen either Atlanta or maybe Dave about like young Dickie. I wanted to kind of be in that vein, but the restaurant industry. Wow. So more or less like a comedic drama about the restaurant industry. Just the shit I deal with, but just from but also resonates with shit that everybody does, deals with because it's okay. going to be about the cast too. It's not just going to be about the character that I play or the character that I write about. It's going to be about the supporting cast. It's going to be about the crazy girl that works with you is going to be about the manager who's doing too much. It's going to be about the bartender that doing this and that. It's going to be about everybody. It's going to be so realistic. So where the comics, like not comics, but the actual people who work restaurant industry, they're going to be like, oh yeah, I remember them type of days. Or, oh yeah, I remember that. You yeah. know what I'm saying? I'm going to be from my perspective for sure because that's also a thing, like, it's been a lot of, like, restaurant movies and movies about being, working at a diner and shit like that. Yeah. But it's not really been a black perspective of working in a white world, almost. Uh-huh. And, and, like, and the reason I say that is because, like, Nashville, it's not, like, a huge amount of, like, black chefs in Nashville. It's not a huge amount of like now it's finally been some uh, some guys that's coming up in the mixology world but it's not you know what I'm saying it's not you got people like that just getting into bourbon like you know what I'm saying like my yeah. homeboy whiskey now it's like now it's it's, it's it's to that point now that's what I'm saying now it's getting to the point where we it's people breaking the stereotypes and breaking the, the, the mold almost yeah well that's cool so has that been something you've been working on over the last year or so or can we where where are we going to be able to see this Did you actually to see it we probably looking two two and a half years away and, and the reason why I say that because first thing this next year I'm going to have to submit myself 
into where these people know where I'm at. It's like I've been I've been doing the stage work, but I've been I've been stepping it up. I've been getting better and I've been pushing it even harder. So that's why I'm saying even my album is a good album, but I'm better than I'm better than that now. It just sure not like not even being arrogant. It's just a fact. It's two years later now. New Year's Eve was. New Year's Eve was officially two years since I released it, and I'd have done probably at least 600 shows since then. So if I ain't better, I'm an idiot, you know, that kind of thing. So, yeah, so I'm better now, and it's just I'm going to keep progressing, and I feel that it's going to turn. It's just these people know about me. It's like I'm like I'm the I'm underground as fuck, but it's also a lot of people that's above ground and that's making millions that know me. That's just that's a part of my game now that I keep building, to keep working, and keep knowing that I got what I got is translating. You've made it through probably one of the most difficult years to be a comedian, just in terms of uh, not only just working, but in terms of writing. I feel like. Oh yeah, it's a it's a year. Yeah. You can find him at Brad Sativa on Instagram. That's at Brad Sativa, S A T I V A. And uh, he's doing the Brunch of Laughs, January 16th, coming up in just a few days at Zany's here in Nashville. That's at 2 p.m. And he's got the special, uh, what are we calling it, the Sativa Mosa? Sativa Mosa. Yes. Jack Daniels. That's beautiful. You know, because one of the things about Jack Daniels that you taste is there's a little bit of light tropical notes going on there with the banana. And yeah. some of that, so it makes a lot of sense with pineapple, with with pineapple juice, and uh, we look forward to all you got all you got coming up, man, in twenty twenty one. It's gonna be a very good year once we get everything situated. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, I think by late spring and summer, people are really gonna be just aching to get back out there, and uh, oh yeah, the vaccines will be making their way around, and I think it'll it'll just it'll really start ramping up. So yeah. That's what I want. All right, Brad Sativa, Brunch of Laughs, January 16th at Zany's, 2 p.m. That's coming up on Saturday. And as always, check him out, at Brad Sativa on Instagram. We'll talk to you soon, brother. All right, man. Appreciate you, Mike. Yeah, and uh, Kenneth, I appreciate you, too. And, uh, yeah, like you know, I can say, why well, you just said Brad Sativa on Instagram. Also, for my merch, it can be at Sativa BNA. You can hit me up from there. We post from there. And then Brad Sativa on Facebook. Yeah, connect. We out here. Mike out here. Everybody out here working. Fuck with people who work and who local. You do have some amazing merch. You've got some great hats. The hat kind of puts you in a vibe. It's a Tennessee vibe. Oh, yeah. People owe me money. Slick. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. <laughs> people owe me money. Dickle owe me money. Uh... The brewmasters of Tennessee owe me money. All of them owe me money. Yeah. <laughs> you owe Brad money. That's a shirt that you should do. Uh, you owe me money. That, that's true, though. If, if you look at Dickle, Dickle got a shirt. They got Tennessee and they got whiskey on it. And they, you know what I'm saying? Three years ago, that didn't exist. Yeah, so it's like... It didn't exist. You need the shirt that's like Brad Sativa... Whiskey, you owe me money. They owe me money. That's how we trying to change. We trying to alter this goddamn city. Like this whole 2021 is like 
we finna alter this city. And we finna alter Tennessee, really, because it's not even about just Nashville. It's because I don't want just Nashville. Yeah. And that's what people forget. It's like we got Columbia, we got Dixon, we got all these, we got Gallatin, we got Hendersonville. It's like that's the cities that got money, low key. And nobody knows. That's where you got to do the pen set. And there's speaking of sativa, there's a lot of weed growing in those cities. <laughs> it is. I would why, think. That's why, that's why I'm trying to do my entry level. Is like linking up with the weed companies already, but they just give me the shake where I can create my own edibles. That's for like what it is for me. Yeah. It's like, it's like I want to create my own my own line of edibles. And we got we got the opportunity, and that's why, like, for real, for real, that's the that's when like the libertarian part of me come out. I'll be like, oh no, 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 give me about another goddamn couple years. Don't let it go legal yet. Give me two, three years, and then I can set uh-huh. the foundation. Yeah. And if I and if I set that foundation, it was like I never have to worry about anything else because that's like for the next two years, it's for me to become Tennessee weed celebrity, and that's that's the that's the goal. Love it. We'll be talking to you soon. Yeah, appreciate you, Mike. What's up? Appreciate you. Thanks for doing this, man. Thanks for inviting. All right. Thanks so much to Brad. Amazing dude. Super smart. And uh, will, will be really fun to see his his next year and everything that he's got going on and, and that TV show. I can't wait to check that out. Looks like we're a couple years out from that. All right. Let's turn things over. The anchor of Booze News himself, Mr. Kenneth Dedman. He is the co-host with the most most. He's a veteran of many brunches and a curmudgeon of many brunches. <laughs> when we were working together, I almost never put you on brunch. Not a fan. Not a fan of brunch. Not a fan. I think I gave you, I would give you like three weeks notice. Like, hey, I'm, I have to put you on one brunch in 2016 and it's going to be on a Saturday at the end of February. <laughs> I needed, I needed like a week off afterwards. It wasn't, it wasn't more of the notice. It was like the time, the time to walk around, pace around and punch the air. Like, <laughs> why the fuck are these people so happy? It's too god dang early. It's not Christmas. It's just Sunday. And you don't go to brunch much. Uh, Even in the before times, I probably have eaten. I I know I have had brunch twice in my entire life, and one only one of those times was I like happy to be there. And the time has come. Booze news with Thank Kenneth you. Deadman, 2021 edition. It's still kind of sucking. COVID's the Bronco that keeps on bucking. <laughs> uh, Kenneth. Good one. Happy New Year. <laughs> happy New Year, Mike. <laughs> I guess. I guess. We knew it wasn't going to be pretty. Like uh, We knew January wasn't going to be pretty either way we looked at like, it. Um, there, was, but, there was nothing. Nothing. There were no signs that things would look hunky-dory for, for, for you, me, our neighbors, our friends, our families. But hey, there's light at the end of the tunnel, my friend. There really is. Yes. I believe it. Yes. It's called heaven. We'll What's boozeworthy out there, buddy? Let's um, do this. <laughs> in tech, in tech, Samsung is developing a robot called the Bot Handy. Bot Handy. 
a robot using a camera and artificial intelligence can pick up your laundry, load a dishwasher, set the table, pour wine, and bring it to you. Um, meant to be an extension of your kitchen, living room, extension of you in your kitchen, living room, anywhere else you may need to, uh, extra hand in your home. Fantastic. Um, Samsung has not, has not provided a release date or a price tag for the bot handy, uh, which is a tall, thin, black and white robot, large, large digital eyes. It changes expressions. Uh, it, uh, it has arms, uh, like a shoulder, elbow, wrist, it can clamp onto things and move them and bring you alcohol. I'm going to guess it's going to be about $18,000. I bet That's it'll it be like. I bet it will be a lot more. It's a more pedestrian version is going to be available um, early this year, but I think that it's going to be a lot more, Mike. I don't think anyone will be able to for like what do you need a robot for other than just to have friends over and say you have a robot? Um, <laughs> like, like, I don't, I don't clean your house. <laughs> I guess like, do you have, like, you can't clean your own house. Is your house too large? That's what I'm saying is the people that are going to get this are people that have like Tom Cruise <laughs> would, uh, he'd go for a robot, right? He'd probably go for a robot before he hired a human. Yeah. I mean, he, he'd convert it to Scientology immediately. Well, robots don't have any thetans. So hmm. they would automatically kind of be, you know, they've, they've dispelled all of their negative energies because they don't have any to start with. So they would be primo, primo hmm. Scientologists. Think about it. <laughs> they, they, they are, I mean, you have getting to, more worried. <laughs> well, we have to prove, I suppose, in the, in the court of Scientology that uh, these robots have a soul and that soul is their own soul. And they're not occupied by other, other souls that are, that are wandering and trapped. But once we break that barrier, I suppose a robot, I suppose a robot would be, um, would make a make a great Scientologist. You remember when people were like, or you'd see in TV shows or commercials or something where your dog, people would train their dog to, to go get a beer from the refrigerator for them. They're usually like. Golden Retrievers. I don't totally. Know why, well, we're past that. It's robots now. I was reading this and looking at my dog. He was looking at me. He didn't care. He was like, motherfucker, you get a robot. I'm not getting you a beer. <laughs> this is cool. All right, what else you got today? While we were sleeping, America. Wake up, America. That's what I got to say. You wake up. Wake up, America. The Supreme Court shot down a controversial controversial challenge to uh, the state's interpretation of the 21st Amendment, uh, which was a challenge to the three-tier system set up by the, the, the federal government upon the repeal of, of, of prohibition. So the three-tier system, um, it's very basic. It, it involves the process of the product getting from the producer to a wholesaler slash distributor to a retail distributor oh yeah okay yeah that's mm -hmm. the, that's the three-tier system and there it's left up to all kinds of interpretation 
Um, that's why the federal government kind of wrote it loosely as the 21st Amendment. Uh, they specifically, we've, we've talked about this before, um, the, the, the federal government wanted to put yeah. that power in the hands of local municipalities, starting with the states, going all the way down to the local level. That's why in certain towns you can walk around certain areas with a drink in hand, this, as an example. That is not because it's a state right. That is a local right. Therefore, it doesn't apply to you. Say, Let's say you're from uh, New Orleans and you do that all over the place, right? It doesn't necessarily mean that you can go around to other towns and do it just because you're from there. It's interesting. It's interesting. Uh, now, Tennessee, um, earlier, well, no, not earlier this year, last year, in 2020, Tennessee tackled a, uh, a similar case. Well, the Supreme Court tackled a, a, a Tennessee case um, that required uh, wine and spirit retailers to be residents of the state for at least two years. And upon, I think upon uh, reapplication for their, the license, they had, they had to prove that at that point they'd have, they had been residents of Tennessee for eight years. So in the, in, the, in the case of the Tennessee ruling, the Supreme Court said that each state has leeway in choosing the alcohol-related public health and safety measures that its citizens find desirable. But it is not a license to impose all manner of protectionist restrictions on commerce in alcoholic beverages. Now, this was just like uh, really a matter of, of wine distribution in the state being empowered by larger chain, larger chains, uh, distribution chains. Like Trader Joe's is a good example, or uh, Whole Foods. Now, the old law would require the those companies to have uh, residents of the state applying for their their distrib or their 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 retail license, but that is no no longer no longer a thing. So in a way, in a way, uh, Michigan has kind of closed its borders, so to speak. You cannot order um, out-of-state booze to your place in the state of Michigan unless it is out-of-state booze that you're ordering from a business that is in-state. I guess it is, you know, like it, it, it bugs me that I can't get certain things. But... I also don't have a problem getting substitutions. I think that's like one of the coolest things in beverage, or at least bartending, is when you're out of one thing and you got to think of something similar to try to hit hit that flavor profile. Mm -hmm. Like uh, I use a lot of I, I ha I've used um, traditionally like a lot of Benedictine. I use I've used so much of it that we run out, and you know, like that's something you got to order maybe a week out or something like that. You know, you might be able to get it from your distributor. You might not. It might take a little while. What would you use? Because I have in I have place of, in place of Benedictine. What would you use? I have I've got it. I've got it figured out. I'd probably do um, like a Baron Jaeger, maybe. Oh come the on, Baron Jaeger, the honey. No, liqueur? we don't have. Yeah, but they don't have. Um, you don't have Baron Jaeger, man. Come on, you just ran out of Benedictine. You don't have Baron Jaeger. 
Um, yellow chartreuse would probably work a little bit because um, you're just looking for like forest, floor, aromatics, a little bit of honey profile. So maybe mixing like the green chartreuse with like a honey syrup if you had that. Hmm. Bekarovka. If you had some Bekarovka around, you could probably bend it a little bit to uh, to mimic Benedictine, I suppose. I have it figured what's out. Your, what's your go-to? Mow my brother. I have it figured out. Uh, Luxardo. Luxardo cherry liqueur. And uh, Grand Marnier. Mm. Oh, that's cool. Put them together to substitute any Benedictine in a cocktail that calls for it. Nice. That Benedictine ha- hacks. That will happen one time in your lifetime, and you'll think of me. Well, probably most often used for Vucarés. Yes. Which we haven't done a shots episode on, which we probably should do at some point. All right. Put it on the docket. Or just a whole New Orleans, yeah, a whole New Orleans themed episode. We could do like New Orleans month, New Orleans week. Okay. What else you got? Well, uh, The Rock, The Rock, uh, Dwayne Johnson has paired with Bolson Coors to develop a health conscious uh, energy drink called. The ZOA Energy, combining uh, coffee and gr- green coffee and green tea extracts, the the the, the, or the Rock has partnered with his longtime business partner Danny Garcia and his ex-wife to produce said canned beverage. Now, the Rock has been dabbling uh, quite a bit in the beverage in the beverage industry. You remember Mike? We we did drink some of his tequila not too long, about a year ago, I guess. Like before everything. Yeah, I'm every, into his everything tequila. Went to I hell. like it. Yeah, it's good. Terramana. Terramana. T E R E M A N E. Something like yeah. that. Terramana. But Terramana. yeah, check out. Get online. Check out his uh, strawberry margarita video. It's pretty good. He is. A cool guy. I ain't got anything shitty to say about him yet. My kids love The Rock, and they don't even know why. But, but well, they basically they do know why. But it's basically because he's Maui from Moana, and they love Maui. And then he is he's in the Jumanji movies too, which yeah. they're big fans of. So they love The Rock. I've seen a few things that he's done. He did that. That HBO show where he was a sports agent, I thought that was that was pretty cool. He had a great he had a great supporting like supporting cast as well. It was good writing, but I I really strained to think of any movie other. I saw Jumanji, that was good. That was good. That was fun. The ZOA energy drink will come in such flavors as pineapple coconut, super berry. Wild orange and lemon lime. Uh, each will be uh, a a thirst quenching sixteen ounces. Now I don't get down on energy drinks per se. This coffee that I was drinking when we were chit chatting earlier before we hit record is really starting to kick in. I feel like I prefer if I'm going to have something with a high energy output. Um, we're just talking caffeine. I think I prefer a very low volume of it, not 16 ounces. I mm-hmm. want I want about 
a four ounce beverage that's really gonna put it to me say like a uh, those Starbucks double shots I'm guilty of grabbing one or two of those throughout the day if I'm on the move and I can't get my nappity nap but you get even less sleep than I do Mike what do you are you just coffee or is there a, is there like a little secret when no one's looking you reach for like one of those sugar-free Red Bulls at the gas station no um, way it's awful. I just can't even drink it. it so ta- all of that shit tastes you just so drink, bad. You just drink regular Red Bull then? <laughs> no. I, what I, my, my secret <laughs> is save uh, the last quarter cup of your last cup of coffee and stash it next to the sink. And then at about 4 o'clock in the afternoon or 3.30, just down it. And you get that last little push. But also, got to throw a shout out to my friends over at Sip Cafe, over here in Inglewood. Oh, they got great. the drive-through. Their uh, their safety has been uh, has been solid in all the practices that that they're doing. So, what are you talking about? Sometimes I'll swing by Sip for the drive-through. When you're in the drive-through at Sip Cafe, um, I noticed this by like because I had a a car in front of me and a car behind me. And I have I've been avoiding drive drive-throughs for almost a year. I've just been avoiding a lot of things for about a year. But one thing that I am not avoiding, that I notice a lot of people are avoiding, is um, wearing a mask when you're going through the drive-through. And I'm not one to like tout like, you know, like if these these anti-maskers if they still exist out there, uh, I'm not trying to argue with you. It's just... They do still exist, and they're fucking idiots. I just like to reciprocate. Um, When I see someone with a mask on, I feel compelled to put a mask on. So when I'm going through a drive-thru, and I see the employee, someone working, working hard, wearing a mask, I have to wear a mask out of respect for them wearing a mask for me. How do you like that? Well, also just because... Yeah, it's a smart thing to do. You got to wear a mask in a drive-thru. But yeah, I know you're going to be close to someone. You got to do it. Otherwise, you throw the whole system off. You're just opening up the odds game at that point. Well, what's the what's the point of not wearing one? Are you going to like start eating it before it even gets in the window or something? Do you need that? Do you need that freedom so that you can just start eating your impossible burger before it's even through the window? And like, yeah, I don't get it. But I know I noticed it at Sip Cafe. They're they're uh, they're very nice, very nice folks there. The driver in front of me did not have a mask on. The driver behind me did not have a mask on. I was concerned. Maybe they put it on when they were giving their order? I don't know. No, well, the I was wa- in front of you, was, you don't think they did? I was watching them. Dude, I was freaking watching them like an eagle. Mm. And no, of course they weren't. I had nothing better to do. I'm waiting, <sighs> I'm waiting on coffee, man. Of course, I'm just staring it down like... Like, what is this? What, what's the problem? What's the holdup? I have an addiction. Like, the drive through line for coffee is no different than being on the inside line for coffee. You just don't understand why this person, three people up, is taking so long to order. They're asking questions, and you just want to throw something at them. Or, you know, I, I wonder if people do that at coffee shops just so someone will be like, just fucking, I'll pay for whatever she wants. Just, or he. Um, just give me goddamn coffee. <laughs> anyway, yeah, uh, we're not out of the woods yet, folks. 
let's uh let's wear our masks good stuff buddy oh thanks man that'll do business? it for booze news Look forward to. I need you to dig up some some good old stories about Elliston Soda Soda Shop for our, uh, soda extravaganza coming up next week. Yeah, sure can. And I will. Uh, I'll talk to you soon. All right, Mike. Love you, buddy. All right. Thanks so much to Kenneth Deadman, my co-host, and Miss Jessica Backus, our cocktail correspondent. And thanks a ton to Brad Sativa, a Renaissance man. You know we love having Renaissance men on the show and women. His show, Saturday, January 16th, is at Zany's at 2 p.m. Brunch of Laughs. As always, find us on Instagram at liquidgold underscore pod. Look for our episode coming next week where we're going to get into the old soda shops and how that became the modern cocktail bar with none other than legend Darcy O'Neill, who wrote the book Fix the Pumps and is just insanely knowledgeable. He's a retired chemist living up in Canada, so we're going to talk to him. That's coming up next week. My name's Mike Wolf, and we will see you next time right here on Liquid Gold.